Beer, wine, burgers, hot tubs, and friends hardly equal Dionysian Greek revelry with its drunkenness and orgies. But the Apostle Paul wants us to know the power of alcohol and sex. With eternal destiny at stake, let's take a careful look with our Truth Encounter study leader, Dave Wurtson, at what Paul means when he warns believers against drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Dwayne was telling me he went down with a friend to see the Baylor game last night. We were watching, we were listening to that, not watching it. I could, we could actually see the lights as we were coming up from the A&M game uh, and could see the lights where Baylor was playing Nebraska. And Dwayne had a friend at work that grew up in Nebraska, so he went down to the game. He was telling me they got there early and they went over to the Nebraskan, you know, the tailgate parties. And one of the things Dwayne said to me is that he saw a parent there with two of their college kids, you know, evidently even beyond college now, they're probably Nebraska, University of Nebraska kids. And you always hear about, you know, the kids binging and drinking a whole lot. And that's one of the things, you know, not always. I mean, a tailgate party can just be really great burgers and, and everybody has a really good time. But Dwayne was telling me that he was watching this couple with their two graduates just challenging each other, drinking down one shot after another. I mean, they didn't even know the game was taking place by the time they, they, they kicked off. And all of you know about that, and a big thing on college campuses is binging and the idea that you just challenge each other to see who can drink the most, and then, when you, you know, somebody goes unconscious. And every year, we have a parent that instead of buying their student another computer, a laptop, We have that mom and dad having to pick out a coffin. We all understand that. And that's what Paul wants to talk to us about. In the unbelieving world, binging and then immorality that often flows from that, partying, revelry, having a Mardi Gras, having carnival down in in Rio and down in Brazil, and, and all that kind of celebration has been part of human existence almost from the beginning of time after as soon as Adam and Eve fell away from a relationship with God. But you might not think of it as adults writing your own life as you interact with neighbors. For example, think of a situation like this. Lillian was in her late 20s. She was a soccer mom that ferried her kids back and forth from grade school to, to soccer practice, practices, to dance lessons, to Awana, to Promised Land, and on Sunday, that's where she took her kids to Sunday school. Robert, her husband, jumped in his car at 5.50 each morning, especially on Monday, to make it by 7 o'clock to his job in Plano. A Columbus Day holiday. Wow, a Monday off. It was like a rest stop in the middle of an intense tour to France. Lillian, can you and Robert come over to our house for burgers on Monday night? You've all got an invitation like that. The invitation was from Jade, Lillian's workout partner. It's still hot. The pool is ready. It's clean. Dick is home, and we haven't invited a couple other couples to come on over. Bring your suit. Let's have a good time. Robert reluctantly left work early on Monday. No holiday for an up-and-coming in, uh, up comer in high tech. So he and Lillian could be to Dick and Jane by 5.30. With their kids safely tucked away at a home of some friends for a sleepover, Robert and Lillian looked forward, like a lot of you have, for a, an, an evening free of the kids, for some good adult conversation and relaxation. The burger sizzle on the grill, the expensive German beer made it even easier to begin to relax. The hot tub was big enough for all the couples to get in, and another glass of wine as the sun set in subtle pastel shades made Lillian think she had died and gone to heaven for a few hours. The hot, bubbling water caressed her back and legs, and the laughter of her friends came easy, freed up with some spirits. 
Dick, Jade's husband, was sitting next to Lillian in the hot tub as just heads were visible above the churning surface. In the midst of one of his pilot stories about the fun of layovers in San Francisco, Lillian felt his hand just barely touch the inner side of her thigh. Where is it going to go? The truth of the matter is, in being here in Melothian for 32 years, a good old boy thing, neighbors get together, you party together, you have a good time together. In Midlothian, we go to church together on Sunday morning. But Friday night, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, summertime, we all get together. The truth of the matter, what begins to happen is like, you know, the idea is, you know, we're going to drink a little bit. You know, we're going to have a good time together. And then I see over the years that suddenly some barriers, some incredible barriers, like Mary is my wife. I made a holy covenant with her. I only kiss her. I only hold hands with her. I only touch her in certain places. And what I've honestly seen through the years is suddenly, in the midst of partying, that those barriers break down. And what I want to share with you is that you need to expect, like I expect unbelievers throughout Midlothian to do that. The Apostle Paul lived in a culture that were the Galatians, a normal thing when you were a Galatian, is that you would have uh, periodic Bacchanalian or Dionysian revelry, celebrations. Bacchus was the god of wine. He was the god of fun. He was the god of party. And so you would periodically get together with your friends, and you get a bunch of men and women. They would drink a whole lot. They would run through the streets and sing. And, and the more alcohol you put down, the more free you got, and you'd sing louder. You'd get some women to come with you, and you've all seen it at the movies, and you've seen it told in story, or you've heard it told in stories again and again. The idea is you get totally drunk, and then you're immoral. That's the way Galatians lived. But what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to you is that that's a destructive way to live. If you're a young person, the Apostle Paul wants you to know that that's not where the action is, that that's not where you're going to find real lasting commitments to one another, and that's not where you're going to find real joy and celebration. If you're an adult here today, he wants you to know that maybe you used to live like that. And I want some of you that are sitting here and you say, you start squirming a little bit and saying, man, you know, that's kind of the way I used to live and you feel like I'm the only one in this room, I want you to know that sitting around you are a bunch of good old boys that used to be at the tailgate party and some good old girls, okay? I want you to understand that it's very important for us to know that not all of us grew up like in a Christian environment where like in my environment, just one little drop of wine would send you right to hell and you'd burn forever and ever and ever. And some of you are raised in that, ba- in that background, And so one of the things we need to work on today is the Apostle Paul is speaking against drunkenness. In my background, we took all the verses against drunkenness and then we made it a carte blanche that you could never touch a drop of wine, a touch of beer. So a bunch of my friends grew up and the first thing they did when they were free is they drank a lot. And we need to be really careful about that. Because the Bible's telling us that, we, that, we, that it doesn't say that this little drop of alcohol is from hell and it's going to burn you and hurt you. And so what happens is our kids begin to experiment. They find out, man, there's a lot of joy in doing that because there can be a lot of fun in doing that. And if they're not taught correctly, then they abuse it. The Apostle Paul's coming to the last works of the flesh. We started out talking about the works, the actions of your old nature, and he started out focusing on sexual relationships. 
He talked about the immoral temptations that we, we will have. And if we don't walk under the control of the Spirit, then we're going to be destroyed. And we're going to get hurt in the area of our sexual temptations and falling into sexual sin. Then he talked about the heart of the whole matter. He talked about our worship. He talked about how there's tremendous temptation to worship false gods and to, and to live your life for false things. And he talked about idolatry. And he talked about the idolatry drug connection and how Satan always mixes the spirits and drugs and the occult to get us to have really powerful highs and powerful transcendent experiences and powerful spiritual experiences. But he's saying that that's the work of the flesh. If it's not rooted in the crucified Savior, if it's not rooted in the resurrected Savior, then he really touched all of our lives, and we've gotten a lot of response from you with anger, with prolonged anger and bitterness. And we, I talked to you really strongly, and I want to ch- really challenge you that just like sexual temptation, it's like an atmosphere that begins to come over you, and it begins to just kind of like a, an atmosphere that you're breathing, and it changes the way you think. Anger will do that to you. And the Apostle Paul says that as born-again believers that we need to turn away from that life of being bitter towards one another. We need to not be a person that, that if we shake you a little bit, that you explode. And then he moves out of that into the last two works of the flesh, which we're talking about now, which is these incredible focus that he has on, and don't get involved in drunkenness, which is like all this revelry, the partying, be really careful about that party where everybody's drinking around the pool and barriers begin to slip away. He's saying as a born-again believer, there should be a break in your life from that because he knows about the incredible connection between alcohol and sexual immorality. Now, I really want to share with you, in all the, as a believer, I was raised, like I just shared with you earlier, I was raised with absolutely no-no, so you couldn't drink at all. What happens in the flow of time is that you're in situations, for example, at a Jewish Sabbath meal where they take one glass of wine and they thank God for it. You also, and you say, well, how could that be an evil thing? And then also, I was raised, interesting enough in my background, I was raised in a background where wine was totally evil, all alcohol was evil, but when I went to the Lower East Side in a storefront church, we would use wine for communion. In fact, I remember our a lady that took care of me when I was a little kid and my brother, uh, she didn't know it was alcohol, and she took a great big mouthful, and it burned her mouth. She spit it all out. I never forget that. As a kid, I did what a lot of you do. I was looking around at communion instead of bowing my head, and I remember I just about busted out laughing as she spit out all this, this alcohol because it was bitter to her. But again, I started thinking, like, how could this be an evil thing if, if we use it in communion? The Christian world debates very strongly. Right in this room this morning, I have some of you that feel like, for example, Mary, her brother was killed by a drunk driver. Someone that had been picked up for DWI three times and, and now driving without a license, totally plastered on a New Year's evening as early as 5.30 in the afternoon. He hit my other brother-in-law, Frank, and just like that, my youngest brother-in-law, David, 15 years of age, was in eternity. His aortic valve split. So for Mary, one glass of wine reminds her of David and the power of what that liquid did. And so for Mary, it's no. And some of you are from backgrounds. Like, even as I teach you today, I, I, I want you to understand 
that if you feel that you're disobeying your heavenly father to have one beer, to have one glass of wine, don't do it. Don't do it. And, it's, and I really believe that in a church family like ours that we're going to have some that the Holy Spirit leads you, especially some of you that know you have alcoholism in your background. Like if you know for sure that you've got an alcoholic dad, if you know for sure you have an alcoholic grandmother, if you know for sure that as you look at some aunts and uncles down your past, you need to be really careful because it's, it's, a not, it's just a totally closed case that alcoholism does move in your genes. It's genetic. Very strong emphasis. Real tendencies towards that chemical really gets certain kinds of chemical overlay in a person's life. And so you might make a decision. Like, I have members of my own family that have that in their background, and, and they won't touch a drop of it because they know the danger of it. They know some of them have had problems in the past. So some of you are going to make all different decisions, but I also want you to know that as I teach you, that if the Bible wanted to teach absolute teetotalism, it could have easily done that. In fact, I've been raised in a situation where they would say that, you know, well, the wine was different back then, and they diluted it with water. And by the way, they did do that in the Greek culture, but in the Jewish culture, that was really a no-no to do that. It ruined the wine. It was a terrible thing to do. But one very simple place you can look, which I think is just a pretty clear argument, if somebody shouldn't drink, it should be elders, shouldn't it? How many of you think if God was going to tell elders and wine was an absolute no-no, you should not touch one drop of alcohol, don't you think that when the Apostle Paul gave instructions to elders that he would have told them not to drink a, a drop? How many of you would say that was true? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is giving all the character traits of an elder. They need to be a one-woman kind of a man. They need to not be an angry man, not be a man that's bitter and pugnacious, and not to, not to be a man that strikes out, not to be someone that has a tongue that's like a sword. But he also says, not given to wine. And all he needed to say, he, in fact, I just misquoted it, because all he needed to say, this is the way it goes in Greek, and I don't usually do this, but I want you to listen. All he needed to say was me oinon. May oinon. May means no. Oinon means wine. And all Paul needed to say is absolutely no may oinon, no wine for leaders. And we would be teetotalers, especially in church leadership. But he didn't say that. He says may par oinon. And the word par in, in Greek means not too much. Don't go beyond. And par oinon means not to be given to drunkenness. So the, the principle and what Paul is really focusing on is a work of the flesh is not that a Jewish person at a Sabbath meal that has one glass of wine with their Sabbath meal or someone that's Italian that goes out and has a great big spaghetti dinner and has a glass of wine with it. He's not speaking about that. But he is speaking about you if you find yourself taking a glass of wine and then you take another one. And then you take another one. And then you take another one. What he's saying is, if the wine starts to control you, then that's sin. Because the Holy Spirit's supposed to control you. And what I really want to share with you as I teach that, some of the young people can take that and run with it, and they can get drunk. Because they said, oh, Dave said it's all right to have a glass of wine. And they're going to have a whole lot more, or, or have a beer. And I saw one of our leaders do that, so I'm going to do that. You can do that, but you're responsible. You're responsible. 
Because the Apostle Paul is really strong. He's saying the Holy Spirit needs to control your life. So I want to say to every one of you, who's controlling your life today? Because Paul ends this list by saying that drunkenness is going to be a big temptation for you. And what I want to do is to warn you today. Because alcohol is a dangerous thing. In fact, to be really honest with you, not too many of my friends really handle it well. Most of you do change when you drink. And we notice it really fast. You suddenly become the life of the party. You suddenly are much less reserved. Suddenly you talk much looser. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying you should have that freedom in the power of the Holy Spirit. You should be able to laugh. You should be able to be free with me because you're at ease in the power of the Spirit. You don't feel like Jesus is rejecting you. You don't feel like he doesn't love you. You're open to him. But what Satan tried to do is to come into your life and to get you to have an artificial spirit. He tries to get me to have an artificial spirit, and that's what Paul is warning us about. And, in, and, in, and he begins by saying, watch out for drunkenness. Drunkenness can't be part of a life that's controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if we look back, just to give you a little bit of the Old Testament background for this, in the Old Testament, let me just remind you of some things you already know. The very first time wine is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 9. Noah, the great Noah, he's the man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He's the only man in all the earth whose family was recognized as seeking the Lord, and the Lord protected him in the flood. The flood takes place, and the ark lands on Mount Arafat, and the Lord takes the flood away, and Noah's able to, uh, to relax and to be able to start to focus again on God. And, and he plants a vineyard in celebration of the Lord. But then he takes the grapes and he ferments them and then he drinks till he's totally drunk as a daddy. And he takes off all of his clothes in his drunken stupor. He doesn't even know that his clothes are off. Ham, his son, comes into his tent and sees his dad stark naked, which if he was Greek, it would have been not a big deal because they ran naked and they exercised naked and nakedness to a Greek wasn't such an important thing. But to a Hebrew, it was very important because the body was the temple of the Holy Spirit and God had said because of sin that we need to clothe ourselves so that we're free of shame and that we protect each other. So for an Israelite, from the early chapters of Genesis, we know that the Lord gave clothes as a great gift to us to protect us and to, and to keep us from being ashamed before one another. And Ham just busts out laughing at his dad. And he scoffs at his dad and he curses his dad. His older brothers, Shem and Japheth, hear about what their dad has done and they back into the tent with a blanket held behind them, and they throw a blanket over their dad, and they never look upon the shameful nakedness of their daddy. Was that important? Ham had a younger son, Canaan, who takes on the same arrogant, drunken, immoral characteristics of Ham. And as we move into the book of Joshua, it's the seven nations of Canaan, not any African-American race, not a black-white issue at all. It's a Canaanite issue, seven nations that had become characterized by drunkenness, by sexual immorality, by deceitfulness, by lying, so much so that the Lord calls for his people 
to judge them in the judgment of war, which is one of the big issues in the book of Joshua. So that's the first time that wine is talked about in the Bible. So what does it tell us? Be careful. Be careful. It's a dangerous thing. If you're a daddy and you start moving up in the middle age and you're not sure life is working out, be careful. Be careful. When you come home from work, how many beers do you have? Why do you have that beer? How long do you sit in your lazy boy? And are you withdrawing from your family? Are you covering up? If you're a wife and the pressure of getting older and, and working with your kids isn't working out so good and you feel really unfulfilled, really unhappy, life isn't going, where do you find your happiness? Where are you going to find that joy and peace? So you start drinking. In fact, Dave Lowry had a precious friend that worked in New Testament. They found out when his mother died, she had her closet filled with alcoholic beverages. None of her family even known it. She hid it in her shoes. She hid it all over the place. None of her family knew that. But her family did know of a woman that was angry, a woman that was distant, a woman that had stopped meeting the needs of her family because alcohol dulls you and takes away your normal reaction. Be careful, it's dangerous. Also, it can make you poor. Proverbs chapter 23, 19 through 21 says, if you enjoy eating at really fancy restaurants and drinking a lot, be careful. They cost you big bucks, and you could become poor. Also, I want you to know that ministers like myself, in Isaiah 28, verse 7, it talks about priests in the Old Testament that actually got drunk. That comes over in the New Testament. Under the New Testament in 1 Corinthians, it talks, Paul has to really warn in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 21, Paul has to warn the Corinthians against drunkenness and gluttony at the Lord's Supper. So if you think this is a new problem, it isn't. The Corinthian church family actually got together on their special Sunday to have communion, and half of them got drunk. And that encourages me. Kind of, I have a weird, weird encouragement. But as I work with you as believers... And I want you to realize you're in a church family. Like, if you're wrestling with alcohol, please stop hiding. Please stop hiding. You're in a place where, we, where you can find grace. We want you to find the Holy Spirit. We want you to find Jesus in a way that will give you the peace you're looking for. We, wanna, we want you to turn away from that alcohol. And we realize that even among a body of believers, men of the Corinthians were doing that at the Lord's Supper, then certainly there's some of us that do it in our home. Come out. The Word of God says, come on out. Be truthful. Face what's going on. Also in the New Testament, it stresses that, there's an isol- that we need to isolate the believer. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. I want you to look at this. This is really important. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Because some of you will have friends. You say, well, Dave, what do I do? I have a friend that claims to be a believer, but uh, they, I, I try to reach him and nothing happens for him. Look what it says. This is very important. But now I am running to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, and we could add a sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer, and here's our word, or a drunkard. With such a person, with such a man, don't even eat. Now, before this, I want to share with you. It's very important for you to get this. The Lord wants you to go to those business parties where your unbelieving friends drink. He doesn't want you to withdraw from them. He wants you to go with them when you're called with a big business party. Be there. Don't be a believer that comes down on all your unbelieving friends. That's what unbelievers don't get. 
They think you're a goody two-shoes, and you just need to realize, Paul is saying, I didn't tell you not to associate with your unbelieving friends. I want you to be with unbelievers, and I want you to expect them to act in certain ways. But something that what he does challenge us to do, if you have a believer, suppose they're one of your brothers and sisters in this church, and you find out that they get drunk at neighborhood parties, and they start making passes at someone else's wife, you need to confront them about that. You need to call them down about that in love, alone, isolated. Matthew 18, you go to them privately. If they don't listen, you get some other friends that know what they're doing. And they challenge them. And if they don't listen, then you bring it before a a group like your community group or another group where people know them and they try to reach them. And if they don't respond, then Paul is saying don't associate with them. This is really hard. Brothers and sisters, I want to share with you, in all of these areas, if you're committed to immorality and I try to talk to you, if you're committed to drugs and we try to talk to you if you're angry in other words if i if i try to deal with you and i say you know you're really angry oh no i'm not angry everyone else is angry and i can't get you to respond i want to share with you i've spent hours and hours with angry people that's ending because i've been unbiblical i'm not going to spend hours and hours if you're angry i'm not going to let you sit and talk to me about your anger for day after day after day after day You know why? Because Paul says, rebuke them once, rebuke them twice, and then don't have anything to do with them. So if you're angry, then you need to realize how you're hurting the heart of God. And I would challenge some of you to ask some of your friends, am I angry? Because some of you don't know that you're angry. You think everyone else is angry. And if I mix that with a little bit of alcohol, you know what? And I could use alcohol, I could use methamphetamines. Wallace shared with me. Wallace, when he came to know the Lord Jesus, many, many years ago, was in the construction hazard, which a bunch of my friends had. You drink on the weekends and go to work on Monday morning, you take methamphetamines, you take meth. And Wallace shared, when he came to Christ, the Lord said, Wallace, you can't drink like that anymore. And Wallace's life changed, and he stopped drinking. He also told me, when we were just young in the faith, praying together, studying God's Word together, he stopped taking methamphetamines. You know what he told me? He said it took several weeks. And Wally and Mary are very straightforward in their personalities anyway. But it took Wallace several weeks before he understood that not everybody was out to get him. Some of you are sitting here today and you think everybody's out to get you. You think the slightest thing happens and the whole world is your enemy. And it's methamphetamine. It's alcohol. Because what alcohol does is break your ability to know what's really happening in the real world. I plead with you today The answer as we close is, don't be drunk with alcohol. Don't be taking methamphetamines. Don't be taking another drug. Don't be be taking prescription pills in excess that the doctors haven't given to you. Don't be controlled by any drug 
Because Jesus has a better answer. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says, and this is really important, he says, those who live like this, he closes this passage, he says, first of all, etc. So one of the things I want you to realize today, don't go through this list of the works of the flesh and then tell me, well, my little pet sin wasn't on there, so I guess I can enjoy it. Paul adds the etc. for you. It's things like this, and you know what they are. I want to close with a really big warning. He says, those who continually live like this, like if you live the rest of your life lying and drinking too much, if you spend the rest of your life lying and Lillian, when her husband goes away early on Monday for work, she calls up Dick because she feels really lonely and they start having an affair, if that goes on and she never turns away from it, and I want to make a big difference here. The Apostle Paul recognizes you can fall into that as a child of God. You can fall into terrible sin. If you're a true child of God, when your brothers and sisters in Christ start coming after you, eventually you'll break. Eventually you'll, your, heart, your whole life will be coming unglued and you'll come back to the cross and sweet forgiveness will flow over your life. And I want every single one of you that's fallen into some of these works of the flesh, I don't want you to leave here saying, I'm spoiled and I'm no good. It's not at all what I'm telling you. In fact, if you went out there and really messed up and maybe you're involved, got it really involved in abusing a drug, abusing alcohol, abusing some of these things, the Apostle Paul, and then you woke up, some of your friends came after you, and you were changed, That proves that you're a child of the king. But I want to warn you, if you sit here today and you deny, you deny, you deny, and you think what I talked to you today about doesn't have any application to you, it applies to everybody else, and you keep drinking too much, and if you have immorality, if you give in to some of that and you stay in that, then the Apostle Paul really warned you. He says, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't be an alcoholic for Jesus. You can't be a sexually immoral person for Jesus. You can't be a bitter, angry, cynical person for Jesus. You say, Dave, why not? Because Jesus really does change lives. We're going to change gears next week, and we're going to talk about the incredible good things that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit wants to give you love. You're all searching for that, and the Holy Spirit can give it to you. You all want joy. The Holy Spirit can give it to you. You want peace. You want, you want long-suffering. You want kindness. You want goodness. You want faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we're all searching for. We're going to be talking about these incredible gifts the Holy Spirit can give in your life. But you know what? The only way the Holy Spirit can bring those things into your life is for you to come to the place in your life where it's going to be the Holy Spirit's control and not mine. So the big decision a lot of you need to think about this week is who's going to control my life? Like if you've, if you've been sitting over the last few weeks and you're like if you fight with me, like I'm very willing for you to fight with me about biblical things, but I'm your pastor. 
And you need pastors. You really do. So if you're making decisions right now and you don't want to talk to me at all about it, don't want to talk to any of our elders about it, if you think that we're crazy, then there's a spirit that's controlling your life and it's going to kill you. I love you guys. I really love you guys. And I love you enough that I'm going to tell you the truth. And today I told you the truth. If you are drinking too much, it's going to destroy your life, destroy your family. It's going to destroy your life as a young person. And there's a way out. Because Jesus' sweet Holy Spirit can fill you in a way that ethanol never will. And you'll be alive. I promise you, the Holy Spirit can make you dance much better than when you're drunk. I promise you the Holy Spirit can help you laugh much better than when you're drunk. And I just want to share with you, as Mary and I move in and our kids have left home, Mary is awesome, and I know I tell you that. I really mean that. Mary has her quiet time every day. That's how I, when I come back from having breakfast, She's out on the back porch on a beautiful day and she's reading right through the Bible. She's done it for years. And I want you guys to know Jesus makes a woman love you. Mary loves me. Isn't that what you want? And the reason Mary loves me is not because I'm such an incredibly great husband. Mary loves me because she is controlled very honestly, by the Spirit of God. Sure, there's been time when her brother got killed, she was mad as anything. We had to work through that. Death is something that makes you really mad. Even worse, when her brother John got killed, she was angry. She was really tempted to allow bitterness and cynicism and evil to control her. We fought through that together. But we're walking in the Spirit together. And some of you might say, well, man, there aren't any good marriages. Yes, there are good marriages. Don't you believe that? Ask Billy and Asa. Billy and Asa, haven't you walked with the Spirit for many years? Is your marriage good this morning? If you want the truth, don't ask your friends that have already messed their marriages up. I challenge you as a congregation, talk to Billy and Asa. Find out their journey. Talk to mom in her 80s with her husband in heaven. Ask her what she did. We buried a lady that flapped her wings like a little butterfly 32 years ago with a husband named Al. Mary Jane and Al Bauckham just flapped her wings a little bit. They said, we want to love Jesus. We want to study his word. We want to help other people to be able to do that. And we're going to give our whole life, just as everyday normal people, we're going to walk under the control of the Holy Spirit. There's what we call catastrophe theory in science today. It's like a butterfly flapped its wing down down in the Amazon and a hurricane takes place in in the Gulf of Mexico. I like to speak about Christ's togetherness theory. 
And I'm challenging you today. Some of you need to say, I want to put my life totally under the control of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to flap my wings under the control of the Holy Spirit. Mary Jane and Al did that. They stayed married till death did them part. And now they're together again. They raised their son, two sons and their daughter. And two of their boys are leaders in our church. They flap their wings. And their kids carry on that tradition. They flapped their wings and a church was born. And then another church in Waxahachie was born. And then another church in Manchester was born. Then another church up in Red Oak was born. Another church was born in Teague. They flapped their wings a little bit. The Sunday that they called Mary and I to come and start to teach you like I've taught you today, they flapped their wings a little bit and sent Ed and Coralie Murray to Eastern Europe. They flapped their wings that I'm going to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Now there's over a thousand Eastern European kids that are dedicated full time to Cambridge Crusade for Christ. God's not just concerned about the Billy Grand of the world and the the Bill Hybels of the world and the the you know Rick Warren of the world. It's you. God wants you. He wants you to say, I'm totally available to you, Holy Spirit. You're going to drive my life. Take over. Wherever you want to go, that's where I want to go. Be filled, be controlled with the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desires of your flesh. Oh, Lord Jesus, during these coming hours, I want to ask you, Lord Jesus, that my brothers and sisters, some of them that have not submitted fully to the control of your Spirit, I want to pray that they'll get alone with you and take the steering wheel of their life and hand it completely over to you. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, then our lives can't be characterized anymore by the sins of the flesh. I'd ask you that those that have slipped would re- will revel in your forgiveness, but I pray that each one of us today will understand how deadly it is when we fall under the works of the flesh. Set us free from the works of the flesh. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is one 888 668